If you observe the banners that are hanging up in our sanctuary that are behind me, you may notice that a few times in the year they move around. And that is because each color and banner represents a different time in the church calendar. The green one is for ordinary time in the church calendar, and that is usually the summer months and the fall. And then we move to Advent and the Christmas season, and then the blue banner will be put in the middle. We always put the season of the church year that the banner represents in the middle. Following Christmas, we move into Epiphany, and then into the whole season of Lent prior to Easter, and that is when the purple banner is in the middle. And then what was in the middle for the last little while was the white one for the Easter season. And today, you may have noticed by the video that was played, by the theme and all the songs that the worship team put together, that today is Pentecost Sunday. And we are now in the season of the church year of Pentecost. It's the time when the Holy Spirit came to the church in the book of Acts. And so we have that red banner in the middle. And we are also going to be entering into a sermon series for the next seven weeks on the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been on a blind date. They're becoming more rare now because you can see what people look like when you connect on the internet and through some of the different dating websites and that. So it's not completely blind usually anymore. But there used to be a time when people would go on a blind date. Maybe one of their friends would set them up with another friend and you would go to a restaurant or somewhere and would wait to meet somebody you have never met before and never even seen before. I wonder if you had ever been on one of those, what it was like when you were waiting, the anticipation. Every uh, person that would walk through the door, if you were sitting in a restaurant, you would wonder, is this the one? Is, Is this the one? And some of them that would walk by, you'd be like, whew, I'm glad that wasn't the one, depending maybe on what they looked like. It's one thing to invite a friend to an event, but calling a total stranger gives a lot of people anxiety. And now that we've got call display on our phones, if you don't even recognize the number, many of us don't even pick up the phone anymore. Well, talking to a stranger or going on a blind date is often how people feel about the third member of the Trinity, and that is the Holy Spirit. Who is this mysterious Holy Spirit? Even for many of us who have been Christians for years, our understanding of the Holy Spirit is quite vague. It's kind of like going on a blind date with him. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is he like? What does the Holy Spirit do? Some of us even get a little bit spooked when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, We might think of some of those rather odd Christian groups who appear to lose all reason in the name of the Holy Spirit, falling over and barking like dogs, or laughing uncontrollably, babbling in mysterious languages. And then there is that unfortunate name that the Holy Spirit has been given in the King James Bible, 
and that is the Holy Ghost. Ghost? Uh, it seems that that's more something for Harry Potter or Halloween. Although I did see a church sign once that said, this church is haunted by the Holy Ghost. There are many views about the Holy Spirit in the church today, but many of them are wide of the mark biblically. Views that we would call folk theology. In fact, in one satirical book on the Christian life and Christian beliefs, uh, the writer talks about this folk theology of the Holy Spirit by writing this in light of what many people feel about the Holy Spirit. He says, and remember this is satire, he says, in the classic theological treatise Star Wars, A New Hope, the great theologian Obi-Wan Kenobi tells young Luke Skywalker all about the Force. He says it's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. The description of the force from Star Wars is pretty close to what the Holy Spirit is like. Maybe even more accurate than what the Bible says about him. He's an impersonal force whose main purpose is to make you feel really good about yourself during times of worship. Whenever you feel the warm fuzzies, that's the Holy Spirit. He must be coaxed into the room like a hard-to-catch legendary Pokemon. We recommend laser lights, fog machines, and impeccable stage lighting to create your best chance of getting the Spirit to move in your congregation. Now, this is satire, but in many ways, we kind of have some of those ideas that have crept into our understanding about the Holy Spirit. But what does the Bible actually say about the Holy Spirit? Who is he? And is he even the right term to use for Holy Spirit? Should we maybe say, who is she? Or who is it or this force? Uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does it mean for a person to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for a church to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Is Bethany a Holy Spirit-filled church? Do we even want to be a Holy Spirit-filled filled church. And what about those controversial Holy Spirit issues like speaking in tongues and miraculous healings? As we recited the Apostles' Creed this morning, you may have noticed a glaring omission in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus gets a lengthy paragraph the Father gets a much shorter section, although at least it does say that he is Father. It says he is Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and earth. But the Holy Spirit gets, we believe in him. That's it. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And then it just moves on. It's like a blind date. Now, the Nicene Creed at least goes a little bit farther and expands on the Apostles' Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, we get, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, and who spoke by the prophets. And then in our NAB statement of faith, it goes even farther. 
And in our statement of faith, we have these beliefs that are put in there about the Holy Spirit, which we believe the Bible affirms. We believe in the one living and true God, perfect in wisdom, sovereignty, holiness, justice, mercy, and love. He exists eternally in three co-equal persons who act together in creation, providence, and redemption. So that means that all those attributes are shared by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is involved in creation, providence, and redemption. It goes on to say the Holy Spirit inspired men to write the scriptures. Through this word, the Holy Spirit continues to convict individuals of their sinfulness and of the righteousness of Christ and draws them to the Savior and bears witness to the new birth. We also say that at regeneration and conversion, the believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit. Everybody, when they become a Christian, is baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then indwells, seals, and gives spiritual gifts to all believers for ministry in the church and society. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and guides us and teaches us and fills us and sanctifies and produces the fruit of Christ-likeness in all people who surrender or yield to him. So we see that the Holy Spirit is a very important person, and there's a lot that the Holy Spirit does. When it comes to what the Bible teaches on the Holy Spirit, we know far more than simply we believe in the Holy Spirit. But granted, we also know far less about the Holy Spirit than we do about the Father and the Son. And some of that, we'll talk about why that is in our upcoming weeks. What we're going to be doing for the next four weeks, this one and the next four weeks, um, this morning I'm going to do kind of an introduction to the Holy Spirit and who he is. And then the next three weeks I'm going to be looking as we wrap up the Gospel of John at what the Gospel of John says about the Holy Spirit. And then I am off for a few Sundays with a missions team to Brazil. And Pastor Jerry is going to then continue on with the Holy Spirit series and do three more weeks on what the Bible says elsewhere about the Holy Spirit. So that for this Pentecost season, for the next seven weeks, we will be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. Who he is, the next couple of weeks in John, what he does in the life of the believer and the unbeliever. And then I'm going to be doing one week on some of these charismatic ideas of the Holy Spirit. And then Jerry talking about what the Bible says elsewhere about the Spirit. When we say, as we do in our NAB Statement of Faith, that we believe in one living and true God, perfect in wisdom, perfect in sovereignty, perfect in holiness, perfect in justice, perfect in mercy, and perfect in love, and then go on to say that this God exists eternally as three co-equal persons who act together in creation, providence, and redemption, we are at least affirming three things about the Holy Spirit that I'm going to address this morning. And that is, is that we believe that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. Also, that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. And that the Holy Spirit works in perfect unity with the Father 
and the Son in everything that he does. So let's look at these one at a time. First off, that the Holy Spirit is God. Some of the attributes that are listed about God, which then are attributes shared by the Holy Spirit, is that he is one. He is living, true. The Holy Spirit is perfectly wise. He's sovereign, he's holy, he's just, he's merciful, he's loving. When we read some of the passages in Scripture that talk about God's character, we get things like this in Psalm 86. You, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. You're slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. In Timothy, we read, to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. In Deuteronomy, we read that he is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything that he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he. A study of the places that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, we see that the Holy Spirit shares all of these divine attributes. In fact, in a number of places in the Bible, you will find that words like Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ are used interchangeably, sometimes in the same sentence. For instance, look at Romans 8, 9. You, this is speaking of the believer, are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. The author Paul uses the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ interchangeably. The disciple Peter also uses the Holy Spirit and God interchangeably when dealing with the church discipline issue. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. You weren't lying to us but to God. Now, I'm not going to get into the background of him keeping some money for himself and all of that. That's not relevant to the point I'm trying to make here. But notice that Peter says that Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. And when he lied to the Holy Spirit, it wasn't so much that he was lying to those people among him, but he was lying to God. Peter, again, directly associates the two. It is from passages like this that the church, when they were understanding who God was and were helping guide other people when they put together things like the Apostles' Creed or even our NAB Statement of Faith, were able to say that the Holy Spirit, who, with the Father and the Son, is together worshipped and glorified. The Holy Spirit is worshipped. And the only one worthy of worship is God himself. 
the Holy Spirit is glorified. The Creed also says that the Holy Spirit has existed eternally. There was never a time when the Holy Spirit was not. And there will never be a time when the Holy Spirit ceases to exist. And it says that the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father in God the Son. There is no hierarchy in the Trinity. Yes, in their actions, they submit to each other and obey and listen. But in regards to their personhood, they are equal. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal. They are co-eternal. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, what do we mean when we say that the Holy Spirit is God? And yet at the same time, I'm obviously distinguishing between the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son. And that is that, secondly, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is not a the Holy Spirit is a he not an it not a force This does not mean that the Holy Spirit is male in the sense that the Holy Spirit has male genitals He is simply in scripture being referred to in that pronoun to emphasize the fact that he is not a force he is personal he has personality. We can communicate and identify with him. The Holy Spirit is not the cosmic force or energy of God, as the Jehovah Witnesses claim. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, one who is in relationship with the Father and Son and co-equal with them. Now, it is true that God does possess Spirit, in another sense. Uh, spirit, in another sense in Scripture, is also a word that can be translated as wind, breath, life. God has a life energy, a, sp a spirit, a life force in which he creates and sustains all things in creation. But this is different from the person of the Holy Spirit. Although the Holy Spirit also possesses this spirit or breath of life in him. So, all human beings, not, all human, not just all human beings, but all God's creation, all animals, are animated by the spirit of God. Or the life force of God. That's why in Acts it says that in him we live and move and have our being. God not only created us, God sustains us. The very breath that you take right now and then the next breath you take is all being animated by God's life force, God's life energy. God put his breath his wind, his spirit, into Adam, we read, and then Adam became a living being, or the direct translated word there is a soul. And then when we die, when our soul dies, this breath, this wind, this spirit goes back to God, and our bodies go back to the ground. 
When Jesus was dying on the cross and said, into my hands, I, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was not talking about a different um, person living inside of him. He was just saying, into your hands I give back my life. I give back the life source, the, the breath, the wind, the, the, the spirit. When we die, our spirit, God's life energy goes back to God and we, our bodies, go into the ground. That's different from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is only in union with Christians. Unique to just believers in Christ. Unlike God's just life force that animates everything. The Holy Spirit aligns himself in relationship with Christians when we become followers of Jesus so that he begins to bring about the reality of Christ-likeness in us. We are not only, when we become Christians, saved from our sin, but we're given a coach, we're given a guide, the Holy Spirit, who begins to help us live free from sin. To begin to live free from the bondage of the things that destroy us. The Holy Spirit is a divine person alongside of the Father and Son. But that still may be raising the question that I haven't answered yet. You're still talking about three persons. Isn't this polytheism? The belief in three gods? This is the question that Muslims and Jews continually ask Christians. How can you say that you believe in one God when you say that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God? Do you not believe in three gods? And the church has always answered by saying, no. We do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God. But we do believe this one God consists of three persons. That they're not the same person. Now I realize how nonsensical this sounds. But that alone should not rule it out as an impossibility. Just because something sounds nonsensical to us or is beyond our ability to understand does not mean it's untrue. My brother has a university degree in physics. My brother and I could not be more opposite when it comes to things academically. I was much more in the things of social and English and, and that kind of stuff. My brother was more the maths and the sciences and the physics and that. And my brother will talk to me about physics concepts that sound completely nonsensical to me. But just because I don't understand them, it would be a wrong conclusion for me to say to my brother, I completely don't understand what you're talking about and therefore it's untrue. Which is what some people do with the Trinity. It makes completely no sense to me, therefore it's untrue. But that's a wrong leap. And so we do need to be careful to verify the truth of Trinity that Scripture reveals to us. Even though we don't understand it, it's beyond our comprehension, the inner workings of what God is like. But that doesn't mean that we, need, we can be sloppy with our language about Trinity. And sometimes we are. 
Sometimes in our lack of understanding, we can very sloppily explain it and say things that are untrue about the Trinity. And so we need to at least, even though we don't fully understand it, we at least need to affirm what Scripture affirms. And that is that there is a big difference in saying that we believe in one God who is three persons than in saying that we believe in one person who is three gods. Huge difference. The second one is polytheism. Or, I guess if it's one person who's three gods, then the early church referred to that as a type of modalism, uh, where I am one person, and I play three different roles. So I guess that wouldn't be polytheism, but I play the role of a father, I play the role of a pastor, and I play the role of a husband. So I'm one person, but I act as three different roles. That is not what the Bible is talking about with Trinity. God is not one person. He is three distinct persons. And we will see the important implications of this in a bit. Yet, those three persons are one God. Granted, it is here, regarding God's nature of his three-personness, where Muslims and Christians do differ. When we talk about the one God that we believe in, Muslims and Christians have a very different understanding of what this monotheistic one God is like. See, Christians believe that the one God's nature consists of an eternal three-way relationship between three true distinct persons, where Muslims believe that God's nature is eternally solo, just one person. And these different positions have some major implications into God's nature. Both beliefs are monotheistic in a belief of one God, but they differ on God's nature. For instance, as the quite brilliant Catholic theologian Luke Timothy Johnson states, The first and most obvious realization is that Christian monotheism is not the same as monotheism espoused in Judaism and Islam. Christians maintain as firmly as they do that there is but one source for all reality who is not to be confused with the world. God and the world are distinct from each other. That this one source is the world's creator and judge and savior. The one from whom all things come and the one towards whom all things are directed. But Christians believe that God has revealed a richer inner life that enables us to think of the one God in a new way. In light of what they consider God's own self-disclosure, God revealing himself, God telling us about himself, Christians think of the oneness of God not only in terms of singleness, as do Jews and Muslims, but also in terms of unity. God's oneness is affirming his unity. What the mystery of the Trinity discloses 
is not a mathematical problem. How can one be three? But the mystery of life given and shared. The Trinity is the mystery of God's own life as life given and received and shared in a never-diminishing abundance of being. The Trinity shows us God as community. And in case you're thinking this is all very heady theological stuff, hopefully as the sermon unfolds here, you're going to see that how, how important all this heady theological stuff is for the implications of how we live and engage with God and with one another. Because it matters. What we think about God, what we believe about God and his nature has a direct correlation to how we believe we are to be with him and to be with one another. Because remember, it is this God whose image we are created in. And so to understand God to the best of our ability in regards to his inner nature, says a lot about understanding ourselves and our created intent and purpose. The Trinity never attempts to explain how God is. The Trinity, though, does explain, not fully, but it does explain what God is. From all eternity, God's nature is relational. It's communal. It's communicating. It's speaking. It's respecting. It's loving. Some theologians would even say that the Holy Spirit is the perfect eternal love that existed between the Father and the Son. And that that love has always been there and is so strongly in existence that the Spirit and that love is itself a person. The Holy Spirit is a divine, rational, personal being who is at one with the Father and the Son as God. God didn't create, I remember one time growing up in Sunday school, and I asked my Sunday school teacher once why God created, and the Sunday school teacher said, well, God was lonely and needed someone to love. God was never lonely. God never needed something to love because God is love, not just as an attribute, a solo God you have to wonder how a solo God is able to express love until he does create. A solo God does seem to need to make in order to love, to express love. But a triune God never needed to create because the triune God always was loving. It always had an object within its own nature to love. Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, the Father loved the Spirit, the Spirit loved the Son. There is this eternal bond of love that is behind everything that has been created. The Holy Spirit is God, the God of community and love, and yet the Holy Spirit is a distinct person, distinct from the Son and the Father, so that God in his nature 
was three persons, one God in love. That's why we say that the Holy Spirit works in perfect unity with the Father and the Son. When we look at the dynamics of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we see love in action. We see what love looks like. And we see what love produces. The Holy Spirit eternally existed alongside of the Father and Son, and together they created. Together, they are the ones that give providence to all things, and together, they have redeemed their world. The initial work of God, the redeeming work of God, the sustaining work of God, the finishing work of God, are all accomplished because of love. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love. We see the three working alongside of each other throughout Scripture. From the passage in Romans that I read earlier about what God's doing in us, to Jesus' words when Jesus says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, The Spirit will tell you whatever He receives from me. Uh, Notice all three members of the Trinity mentioned there too. And Jesus is saying, everything the Father has is mine. And this is, uh, when everything that the Spirit tells you is what the Spirit receives from me. We're constantly working in union. Nancy and I always joke and, and say that what's, what's yours is mine, what's mine is yours. Is, there's no difference. We, everything that is, is part of Our union is both of ours. All that belongs to the Father is Jesus's. And everything the Spirit says, he receives from Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, you could almost say, baptizing them in the name of love which is manifested in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, the reason why these two are important, a lot of people will love to say that, yes, religion or Christianity or whatever you want to call it is all about love. But without defining love, it can just become some gushy whatever is in anyone's mind about what they think love is. But Scripture defines love. God is love. That means that love is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship. And so to understand what love looks like, what love is, we have to look at God. It's not just a nebulous concept. It's even possible uh, to read this hint of God working in union from the very beginning of the Bible. It talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And in conjunction with that, God says, let us make and speaks in the plural and it's interesting when God says let us make man or the human in our image that if God is speaking in the plural let us make then the man or the human that he is speaking of is actually in the plural as well and it does go on to say that in the image of God he created them male and female 
that humanity as solo really does not reflect God's character. Let us make people in our image. Meaning that people reflect the triune God when we show that kind of love. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit works in perfect unity with the Father and Son. It's because of that that we can say, as John does in 1 John 4.16, that God is love. Again, it's not just a nice concept that John thought about. Love, we all love love. Let's make God love. John is describing the very inner working of who God is. He is love. God didn't decide to love. God didn't start loving after he created something to love. God is love. He always has been, is, and will be love. His nature is the alpha and omega of love. God has always been a communal love relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, when we understand that, we see that Trinity is not one of these nebulous Christian concepts that we probably shouldn't ever talk about because it's too hard to understand and we barely touch on it. But Trinity is at the very heart of Christianity and through all the ages, it is what has always made Christianity distinct from other world religions and also from many Christian cult groups that have crept up through the ages. That's why all of our creeds which were meant to protect us and to keep us on the straight and narrow, are all Trinitarianly centered. This is saying that this is the heartbeat of our faith, that we are Trinitarian. Not because we can understand it mathematically, but because the Trinity best explains the character of God as one of love. God did not create out of necessity, but out of love. God did not redeem his creation because he had to, but because he chose to, because he's love. God is a God who makes covenants with people because he's love. God is a God who chooses to enter into our suffering and to save us because he is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a personal and relational God. He is a God who listens and understands prayer. He is a God who exists in a community of love so that we find that we, being created in his image, have also been created to be a community of love which is what communion is supposed to represent, the common union. When we truly take part of communion, in our understanding of it, of being a diverse group of people who come together as one in love, that communion is reflecting God's character. A diverse God of three persons coming together in love. 
It's why for much of history, the communion sharing time was at the heart of the church's worship practice. Because every time we come together for communion, we are sharing in the nature of God. Which is why I've said in the past, why solo communion makes no sense. Just me and God in my own solitude. Communion is to reflect God's character. Diversity coming together as one in love. God's love is the reality that binds the universe together. Which is why the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Because when we are doing that, we are doing and acting in line with God's created intention. God's character is love. God created all things to operate and be in love. And when we reflect that kind of love, we are in line with both God and in harmony with nature. This is why we sing as Christians. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God is a God of love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has revealed himself to be this God. And next week, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit operates in our life to begin to produce God-like love out of us as we are in union with him. So let's stand together and let's sing what we believe about the God that we worship and his nature. Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity.